0: Uh, just whoa, just want to first say uh, thank you so much today for the opportunity to come and speak today. I really do think it's a valuable and important expression of partnership in the gospel in this region, which is not usually expressed anywhere else, so uh, it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. And also, if, if someone gives you their pulpit, you know what a pulpit is? You you just watch the uh... castle, Castle, thank you. Um, It's a very precious place to be offering, to be allowing someone else to be in. And so I just want to thank uh, Dave for that. I I think that possibly being here in the pulpit might give me a good chance of being on his Harley I just ask him for that, we'll see which is more precious to him when I ask him at the end of the service. We'll see. <laughs> um, but uh, just say, it was it? we had church this morning and uh, one, of our, one of the guys from church uh, spent some time in Pakistan recently and he uh, is running the Word of Life ministry and uh, really fantastic stuff that he talked about and was sharing how he went and spoke at their church for 45 minutes. ...and thought that was stretching it. At the end of it, the guy was a bit disappointed at, at him... ...and said, hey, we're serious about the Bible. You should be going for at least two hours. So I know we're exper- I know you are serious about the Bible. So, 6.45, we should be finished. Is that all right? Anyway. Um, it's also the first time I've ever used my iPad preaching. And so it's an experiment. And I thought, if I'm going to experiment anywhere, it's here because I'm going to go afterwards and be all right. So, uh. <laughs> um, I have forgot my bipper thing. I remember at, uh, when I was in primary school, um, I was really conscious of how my writing in my book would just slowly get messier and messier, and I would get a bit lazier, more and more lazy. And I just think, no, I, I'd write at the top of the page the words, new life. And this would be the the point for me to say, I'm going to be better from now on. I'm going to be neat in my writing. I'm going to really listen to what the teacher's got to say. Well, if you were to look at my exercise book, you would see every 15 pages or or so, it says new life. Because I'd always need to have a fresh start. I'd always need to start again. I'd have great intentions, but they wouldn't last all that long. And I suppose, I wonder if you ever wished you could just start over if you felt like, if only I could start again, if only I could just do over the last week or the last year or the last decade, or possibly you feel like you'd like a, a do-over of your whole life. Well, that's what this passage is about. It's the chance to have a second chance. And it's pretty cool, I reckon. Uh, we've, at, uh, at church... Uh, about a month, um, a couple of weeks ago, we finished a series on Leviticus. It was amazing. Leviticus is known as the murderer of Bible reading programs. You get there and then you stop, you don't go through it. But let me tell you, after we've been through Leviticus, we've actually found it's one of the most precious treasures in Scripture. It's absolutely wonderful. And it is the most clear Old Testament gospel, I think, as we read through Leviticus. It's actually amazing. Um, One of the uh, things about Leviticus is it's the middle book of the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Pentateuch, but probably more accurately, the instruction in the sense of instruction of a parent to a child. And it's those first five books of the Bible that actually shape the rest of the understanding of God and the teaching of Scripture right through the Old Testament and profoundly affect the New Testament writers, and um, the uh, when 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 we write something, we usually our um, uh, usually our point is usually at the end. But f- often for the Hebrew per- writer, the point was in the middle. The main point was pointing right into that centre space. And um, the um, I think we're changing this, are we? Am I going too far out of frame or something? Oh, okay, all right. Um, so the point there, often in Hebrew, is in the center of things. And so, so what we've got in Leviticus, uh, we've actually got Genesis and Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, in the middle is Leviticus. So there's some sense of a, what's going on here. This is the sacrificial system. You could say it's taking us from the, how do you get from the garden into the promised land right through the middle there is Leviticus. But when we think about Leviticus in particular, we find that the first 15 chapters and chapters 17 to 27 actually are all pointing to this chapter in the middle, chapter 16. So Leviticus chapter 16, the passage that we're looking at today, is in the middle of the middle of the very foundation of the whole Old Testament. So it's pretty important. It is the Day of Atonement Um, I need to say that atonement is a made-up word. It was made up by William Tyndale when he was translating uh, the Scriptures uh, into English. And he was just trying to make up a word that sort of covered what this uh, idea is. So the word atonement is not actually in the Bible. It's made up. Uh, In Leviticus 16, it's literally the word covering. And so we've got to sort of work out what that has to mean as we go through. Um, You know when something's wrong with your computer... You usually ring up the technician, and what do they say? Reboot. Reboot. Yeah. Turn it off. Turn it on again. Amazing. It's all worked. Well, that's what the Day of Atonement was all about. It was a reboot of the entire nation, and it was fixing things at some level. So I think I had... Oh, that's my computer. There we go. Uh, So let me read this, just this first part of uh, Leviticus 16... The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, "Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain, in front of the atonement ark, uh, uh, front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover." Now, if you remember Leviticus chapter 10, and if you're all, you've all read that this week, no, I don't know. But there's the story of Aaron's sons, Abihu and Nadab, who approached the the, um, the holy of holies, maybe confidently, maybe arrogantly. We don't really know, but they did it wrongly. That's the problem, and they paid for it. Fire came out from the Lord. There was a holy, righteous judgment come forward. And killed them both. Now remember, this is Aaron's sons. And Aaron is now being told, I'm getting you ready to go into that place that your sons were just killed in. You'd feel a little bit nervous, wouldn't you? The, um, uh, the words, whenever he chooses, that were read for us, are also actually not there in the, uh, in the Hebrew text. Uh, it it is the sense of not so much you can't go whenever you choose, but you cannot go. That is the sense we have to feel in this. That you cannot go into the Holy of Holies, uh, behind that curtain, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. There's the Ark of the Covenant. Um, remember, Just remember those two angels on it, uh, and the, um, the, that seat there, as it's called. Because it's here, at this point, that God says he will appear in a cloud. And if you're in there, when he's in there, you will die. So don't go in there, Aaron. It's too holy. You will not survive unless... God makes a way for you to go into that place. And all the verses that follow are really what God is doing, is to make a way for a sinful person to be able to come before a holy God. So Aaron is told what he will need to make this journey, uh, which you could say it is the most heavenly destination on earth at the time, was the Holy of Holies, was also the most dangerous destination on the planet. What are you going to need? You're going to need uh, a new outfit, linen clothes. You're going to need to have a bath. You're going to need a bull, a young bull, in fact, two goats and two rams. That's what you're going to need. Let's think about it. What's going on here? The bull particularly was a young bull. And this was a bull to, that, that Aaron needed to sacrifice uh, for, his, for his family and for the, uh, for the Levites to atone for Aaron's Uh, Aaron and his household sin. Now, why a young bull? I'm not sure, but let me float something with you. When's the last time Aaron was dealing with a young bull? It was at the foot of Mount Sinai, wasn't it? Where there was this young bull, this young calf that he set up, and the Israelites, he got them to worship it. Is there some sense that this young bull is going to be a reminder of that horrendous sin that his people, that that uh, his tribe and household had committed? So that's why of that one, possibly it will be a reminder of sin, but also a remind of their sin, but also a reminder of God's forgiveness. There's the two goats for the uh, people of Israel. A goat for the people of Israel. I mean, you think what well, was a big Bull for one person and his family and then one goat for the rest of the, tw- of the 11 tribes. How does that work? Uh, well, again, if you were to go forward into chapter 17, you'll find that the people had been worshipping a goat idol. And this was a key idol that they'd been worshipping and it had led them into sexual immorality, which is what is following in chapter 17 and, and, um, and onward. And so, in some sense, there is this reminder of them, of their sin, that they're killing their sin. It's an atonement for them. It's getting rid of that which they were locked into. Uh, he is to bathe. Oh, that's the bull. There we go. He is to bathe. He is to put on these linen garments and he is to bathe. Uh, this full linen outfit, a tunic, a sash, a turban, uh, even underwear, special underwear, had to wear, um, Now, when we see that, we go, oh, yeah, all right, well, that's what he is wearing. But what we see him wearing, the rest of the people would have seen what he's not wearing. Because what he normally would have been wearing is more royal garb, um, a a breastplate with uh, jewels upon it and all sorts of a nice coloured turban. and Now he's dressed as a slave. So for some reason he needs to change his clothes. He is going from being royal to a slave as he comes in to the Holy of Holies. Because you don't rock up to God. You now with all your great stuff on and say, look how great I am. When you come before God who is royal, you come before him humbly. And then Aaron was to go in, in behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies, right up to the cover of the ark, and with a censer pumping out smoke, now, why smoke? Why all this smoke? Well, again, let me put it like that. <laughs> um, this was a smoke screen between him and God, literally. It's, this was the initial holy smoke, as I think you put it, that there was this uh, division that when God looked down, he saw smoke. He didn't see it, so it was a covering of Aaron. Aaron was to take the blood of the bull and the goats and flick seven times onto the cover of the ark. Why seven? Well, probably seven is pretty prominent, isn't it, in the Scriptures? So there's seven days that is uh, set aside there in the beginning of Genesis. There is this perfection. There's this completeness that's going on there. And this ark cover was also called the atonement seat. Now, you might think this is all pretty gruesome and pri- primitive, and it probably is, slaughtering bulls, blood everywhere, goats dead. But it still succeeds in making the point, doesn't it? I mean, we're familiar with life being in the blood. Uh, my daughter and I, just a couple of weeks ago, gave blood up at, um, at Port Macquarie. We'll do it again. There is that sense that life comes from blood, Life is in the blood. If someone shoots you, it's not the hole in you that's the problem, it's the blood that's rushing out, that's the issue. That's what you don't, we've got to stop the bleeding because the life is in the blood. That's why Leviticus will keep on saying, that is why blood is needed. And we're we're more familiar than ever we have been before, I imagine, about contamination. Uh, we shake someone's hand now and we think, Where have they got any germs on their hand? Have I got to sanitize my hand? Whatever that sort of thing. Unless, I don't know if we're over that yet. Death for Israel made things unclean. And uncleanness needed to be dealt with. And there was a build-up over the year of uncleanness because of death and that needed to be dealt with. And the way you deal with death is you rub life into it. Hence the blood was to be rubbed into the, uh, into the, whole, into the Holy of Holies, into the covering of the Ark. And uh, the Day of Atonement was like the day that you do a spring clean. You know, you clean every day, I imagine, um, a little bit anyway. But then there's the bits behind the places that you don't clean that really begin to build up. You need to spring clean that. You you pull everything out. You wipe it all out. Well, that's what's happening on the Day of Atonement. So along with the priests and the people, the Holy of Holies, the Tent of Meeting and all of this, everything was atoned for. It's the Great Reset. But Aaron is not finished yet. There's this other goat. So remember, there's two goats. One goat gets slaughtered, and its blood, with the bull's blood, is offered. The other goat, though, is different, And where well, I think it was read it was a scapegoat. Now again, "scapegoat" is a word put in there to try to make sense of the word that's actually there, which is the word "Azael." I think "Azael." what does that even mean? And that's a great question. Lots of people don't know what it means. But what is this second goat, which is a goat literally for Azael? Uh, it's the idea, Azael, it is said, is the idea of removal. And so, in the uh, passage there, in just verses 21 and 22, uh, Aaron is to, lay, to take this goat for Azael, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put, uh, put them on the goat's head. He shall then send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So the remote place equals the wilderness. This is where sin is to go. And it is clearly and graphically shown, this goat going off, being led into the wilderness. Now the wilderness... It's the opposite place. It's the anti-Eden. Wilderness is outside of Eden. Eden is not wilderness. Wilderness is the place of bad stuff. Eden is the place of good stuff. You need to get the hell out of Eden. That's what it's really saying. Get the hell out of you. Later on, as we'll see, that's being talked about. And our tradition says that if this goat was to wander back into the... um, into the uh, camp, the kids would throw rocks at it and, and get it to go away. Get get, get rid of that go. Really graphic picture of getting rid of the sin. Uh, at the end of the passage, go back there, the end of the passage uh, really just says how the, um, the priests are to do this year to year. Whoever's the high priest, he is to do exactly what has been said here and every year it is meant to happen and you know, this year on October the 5th, Israel will do it this year as well. Uh, They'll do a little bit differently to that. Uh, They'll have a day off. They'll abstain from a whole bunch, about five things in particular. But they see it as a great reset day. It is the biggest public holiday in Israel and it'll be had this year. So what does all this mean for us? You're thinking, okay, this is all very interesting. But first of all, I just want to think about the clothes. Think about The clothes that has been pointed out so often in this passage. The change of clothes. When Aaron was finished in the Holy of Holies, he would take off his linen outfit. He would bathe himself and put his regular garments back on. So he goes from that to that. He was that. He went to that. And now he's that. He's gone back to that. Think about it. What high priest do you know who took off his royal robes and put on the clothes of a slave and became obedient even unto death? The Lord Jesus. There's so a picture there, beginning to picture this. He did not account equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, one who was wrapped in linen, even at his death, and went in to that place of death. When the high priest finished, he would put his robes back on. Think about it. He he had these linen clothes on when he was finished. He would take them off, fold them, and leave them there, then go and put on his royal clothes. What is it that Mary and Peter and John find when they go to the tomb? Folded up linen clothes sitting on the slab that Jesus laid on. And what else was on that slab but two angels sitting either side? Now, are you seeing any pictures here of what's going on? Of all that's being pointed out did I have that picture yeah I did those two angels on the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant and then suddenly we're being told there's two angels sitting exactly where Jesus was and yet these clothes are now folded up work is done we have an atonement not just in the cross but it needs to be completed in the resurrection because a dead savior is not a saving savior jesus died for us and he rose for us as well the work is finished we have atonement that has been done you know the uh, the um, theologian cindy lauper uh, said time after time well no, once and for all. I think I had a picture of her. There we go. There she is. No, once and for all. Much better picture. It has been done once and for all, so believe it. It's done. Uh, The second thing I want to say is the second goat was sent out as a way of demonstrating that sin really... Actually, has actual, real consequences. We actually need to make uh, uh, need to act, not just pretend it's not there, but to flee from it. Uh, so the symbolic action of removing the goat from the camp, I think, does really remind us. It's a graphic image of getting the sin out of your life. Uh, it's to go. Get the hell out of you, is that picture. Uh, what are the implications for Bonnie Hills and Lake Cadai? Well, I think the amazing thing is this. Um, the cross and resurrection, the, uh, the Day of Atonement back there in Leviticus 16, it covered and dealt with the Israel, with the people of Israel. The New Testament will say that the death of Jesus doesn't just deal with Israel, but deals with the whole world. Paul will say that God was pleased to have all his do- fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The whole cosmos gets reconciled in the cross and resurrection. John will say this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 that he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now get this, it's not saying everybody's forgiven, but it's that everybody's in a state which they can now be forgiven. They're not all saved, but are in the state that they are ready to be saved. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice that clears all debts, resets the whole universe to default settings, eternal life is now available to everyone absolutely everyone so the world is ready to be made holy it just needs to believe and come to christ and so we urge people to have faith in jesus so how do you think the average israelite would have felt after the day of atonement they would have felt today we have been made new How do we feel after coming to Jesus, the atoning sacrifice? The believer ought to say, I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I'm not worried whether it has or not. It has. I have been saved. And when you come forward for communion today that picture of the blood, the body and blood of Christ, you can say, I have been saved. I'm being reminded of this right now. We are a saved people. If you are an unbeliever, you can say, well, the Day of Atonement means I can be a new creation. I can have a brand new start. I can go... The old can go i should say and the new can come i can be saved so in some sense if you're not a believer if you've been trying to wrestle with this stuff you can say actually one of the ways that i'm actually going to stand up and say i want to become a christian is to come forward for communion actually to say he is the atoning sacrifice for me and i'm going to receive him yes symbolically but i'm going to receive him physically but as I feed on him in my heart by faith with thanksgiving. Now you have been atoned for. Now it's time to be holy, which is the topic of chapters 17 to 27, which Dave will do Sunday, Monday. Friends, let me pray. Uh, Loving and heavenly Father, we thank you for the picture of atonement in the Old Testament. And we praise you, Lord God, for the images we see, the wonderful images of your preparation for the Lord Jesus walking out of that tomb. And we thank you, Lord, that as Mary and Peter and John, as they ran to the tomb and looked in and they saw the linen cloths lying there, job was done. There is a place now where the whole universe has been reset, where we can now come by faith and be forgiven. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would remind us that all, every single person in Bonnie Hills and Lake Caddy, you have, because of the cross, You have made them ready to be saved. And so, Father, we pray, please help us to reach out with this good news of Jesus, with the light of the gospel, that more and more will be saved and live lives that glorify you in holiness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.